Well, it is Thanksgiving weekend, so happy Thanksgiving. It's celebrated. It's been celebrated for a long time, hasn't it? But, not, you know, it's almost like when we think of Thanksgiving, we think of that, that version south of the border, don't we? It's the, uh, it's the version that's on TV. It's the version that we all sort of, you know, um, think about when people say Thanksgiving. I mean, we do it a month earlier. Americans do it a month later, right? We got the turkey from the Americans. We got the image of the pilgrim from the Americans. I mean, this whole idea of Thanksgiving has been really culturally defined a lot by American media and American influence. I mean, the pilgrims and the First Nations people that they first had the first Thanksgiving with, um, it was claimed it was done around 1621, so 400 years ago. That's when the first American Thanksgiving actually happened. But you know, Canadian historians say that actually Canadian Thanksgiving happened before that. I had no idea. Did you? I had no idea. And Martin Frostbisher, that's his name, captain of a ship, came over from England looking for the Northwest Passage, landed in Canada in 1571, 50 years before the pilgrims landed in the United States. Got off the boat, him and his entire crew, I think it was Newfoundland or somewhere around there, and they went on land and they had a meal of thanksgiving to God. I would know. I didn't know that. I took Canadian history and I never learned that. But, you know what they had to eat? I, I, I sort of, I'm not a big fan of turkey, but I think I'd rather have the turkey than what they had to eat. They had salted beef, Biscuits and mushy peas. Salted beef, biscuits, and mushy peas. Boy, the, the uh, Thanksgiving that, that we with the turkey or the roast sounds a lot better, doesn't it? But you see, when you're thankful, it's okay to have mushy peas, isn't it? Because it isn't about the turkey, it isn't about the meal. It's about the gift. And they were just happy that they had made it across the Atlantic, safe. Nobody died, and they were thankful to God. And that was, that was a Thanksgiving that was here in Canada, and I just learned. But Thanksgiving really has been a Christian-influenced holiday in North America. It has. But the one thing that we don't realize is Thanksgiving didn't start in 1621. It didn't start in 15, what, 71 in Canada? 15, yeah, 71. It started a long, long ago. The real first Thanksgiving is actually almost 2,000. Actually, it's probably yeah, almost 2,000 years old. And yet, I think you know what I'm alluding to. I think today is going to be a kind of a history lesson, a biblical lesson, all into one. 
But I'd like to bring some deeper meaning into Thanksgiving than probably we've all ex experienced. And especially as our society becomes secularized, it sort of diminishes the importance of Thanksgiving. It really does. Because you see, Thanksgiving was actually started by Christians a long time ago. It was. And today, actually connecting what we're doing today after the sermon is key to understanding the origins of Thanksgiving. So let's get into it. The Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, Rejoice always. Paul is ending the letter, and the first thing he is saying, this is a statement across three verses, 16, 17, and 18, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, Rejoice always. Rejoice always. You see that? Rejoice. Because we should always be thankful. See, if we're thankful, we'll have joy. Right? We heard that on Friday. What else did he say? It says, pray without ceasing. See, prayer, prayer is, is, is not just about us going to God when we're struggling with things. But the primary th purpose of prayer is to build relationships. Do you understand that? To build relationship with our God and to align our thoughts, our hearts, our life to his will first and foremost. Because you see, when you go to pray and you're praying to a God who created the universe, who in a blink of an eye can wipe out everything, who created everything, when you're before a God like that, it's almost hard to think of anything else when you picture who you're praying to. And we heard when we were praying on the Sermon on the Mount, what's, what's that Jesus teaches? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come before anything else. It's acknowledging who God is. And so here Paul is saying, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's turn to Philippians 4, 6, 7, another verse that we talked about on Friday night. Again, Paul starts off in verse 4, rejoice. See the theme with Paul, eh? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Sometimes? No. Always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And then the verse that we all so know so well. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. With thanksgiving. Paul is giving us a clear message. We should always be rejoicing. If we're not rejoicing, there's a problem. There is a problem if we're not rejoicing. You see, if we're not rejoicing, there's a connection between rejoicing, a connection to prayer, and very importantly, a connection to thankfulness. To thankfulness. Now, we as Christians have always known that 
despite anything that might happen, when we have joy and thankfulness in our hearts, no matter what comes our way, good and bad, we are stable, we are strong. Why? Because He gives us that strength. He gives us that stability. He gives us that joy. (laughs) There's a study out of California, Berkeley. It says, research suggests that gratitude may be associated. Gratitude meaning thanksgivingness and, and being thankful may be associated with many benefits for individuals, including better physical and psychological health, increased happiness and life satisfaction, decreased materialism, and more. And they have a list that goes on and on and on. Well, I'm glad they caught up. Because the Bible's been saying that for 2,000 years. The Lord created us. He created us. And you see... We were created to worship God. And when we're in that state of worship and rejoicing and thanksgiving and we have God first in everything, in our prayers, in every aspect of our life, everything seems to fall into place. But when those things are out of order, that's when things start to maybe become tougher. And in today's culture, that becomes even harder. Because, you see, we live in a culture that says, you're the most important thing. We live in a me, me, me culture, right? You talk to any researcher out there, and they're saying, we are the culture of entitlement here in the West. We are. A lot of them point their fingers at millennials, but research is showing that it's also just as bad in all age groups. We are entitled. We think we're entitled to everything. And entitlement is a social issue. What it means is it's not something that's, that's an attitude that, that we derive. It's something that's socially, I can say, pressured onto people. And the pressure could be through a lure. Yeah, you deserve it. You should get this because you deserve it. That's a social pressure. It's a positive social pressure, but it's a social pressure. And so what researchers have been saying is, in the last few decades, probably four, five decades, this has been building up to where we are today, where we have a cultural entitlement. And the West is at a point where narcissism, in other words, the belief that I am the center of all things, that I am more important than anything, that it's about me more than anything else, This is where we are today. We put ourselves beyond anything. How does that work when the entire North American content is going to Thanksgiving, which is exactly the opposite of what entitlement and narcissism is? Do you know that entitlement and narcissism is leading to a personal... You know, a personality disorder, I should say, is actually something that people are having and suffering with every day. Why? Because all of a sudden, everybody thinks that they are the center of the world and that they deserve everything. And all of a sudden, when they don't get it, 
what happens? And we tend to study the young people because they tend to exhibit, reflect. You know, it's not because they're worse, per se, but they begin to reflect what the current generation influencing is actually creating. They're the mirror. You see what I'm saying? A lot of times we point our fingers at the young people. Oh, the millennials, you know, they're the... You know, they're the, the group of entitlement. Yeah, I, I could have that picture. I mean, in my staff, the people who are young, they think that they have to be promoted every two years. They do. And, and when I read the research, it's, I'm not alone. Apparently, that's, you know, they, they graduate from university, they, they go to work, and as soon as around the two-year mark, they think, it's time for my promotion. And the first thing I always ask is, well, why do you think you need to be promoted? Well, I've learned a lot and I, I've been here two years. That's great. See you in two years. <laughs> you see, that sense of entitlement's there. It is. But our young people are reflecting what we've created as an older generation. So when we look at our young people, we've got to look at ourselves. Because here's what research says. Research says that if you take the baby boomer... Excuse me, sister, could you please keep it down? If we look at what is happening in our culture, it is saying that you take a baby boomer and you put them in this generation with the phones and everything they have, they will end up the same. They will behave the same. They will be exactly like the generation it is. That's the way it is. So here we are with Thanksgiving. And we're seeing a shift in society that is very, very concerning. I think we've lost the meaning of what Thanksgiving is all about. You see, Thanksgiving is actually a Christian, biblical holiday that started 2,000 years ago. And when we come to Thanksgiving in our society and in our world, we need to reclaim it as Christians. This is not a holiday about turkeys or a holiday about mashed potatoes or anything. This is a holiday about being thankful for who Jesus Christ is. Nothing else. Nothing else. And the society can keep on going where it is. <laughs> but this problem isn't new. It isn't. I'm going to read a quote, and you tell me where you think this quote is from, when it's from. Okay? Who do you think said it? You ready? Our youth now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for their elders and love chatter in place of exercise. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up their food, and ty tyrannize, their, tyrannize their teachers. 
When was this quoted? When do you think? Does it sound like something recent? What we're experiencing today? Sounds like it could be a parent or a teacher, right? <laughs> the person who said this was Socrates in 400 BC. Human nature after the fall hasn't changed. There are certain things that might accelerate it in our culture. But 2,500 years, years ago, the same problems were there. The same problems were there. And so what do we do? What do we do? Well, here's what I think we should do. The first thing we need to do is we need to realize what's causing it. Because what causes it is an ancient problem that goes right back to the book of Genesis. This isn't a thing that is a problem for today. This isn't a thing that is a problem of 2,500 years ago. This is something that was a problem right from the very first day that the fall began. Let's go back to Genesis, chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. Because really... This problem that we're experiencing today, this problem that Socrates experienced is a problem that's been with humanity all along. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. She was told by God that she would die if she ate of the fruit. But Satan came along and said, eh, you're not going to die trying to convince her. Everything's okay. You can eat of the fruit. <laughs> For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. There's the first temptation. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. Increase your knowledge. See, the knowledge of good and evil. Increase your knowledge and you become like God. You become powerful. And here it is. So when the woman saw, see this? Saw that the tree was good for food. See, first came the temptation. Right? First came the temptation. First, well, actually, first came the lie, then the temptation. You believe the lie, then comes the temptation. Then comes the feeling. Oh. Your senses start to come into work. This feels good. The tree was good for food. She saw that it was good for food. And it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And it goes on. You see, the fall happened when we believed a lie. Right? And then we started using our feelings as the guide to what's right and wrong. And that's the lie of the culture that's trying to permeate us today. You see, they did a, they did a survey of, of, of people and they asked them, 
How do you, how do you actually determine right from wrong? 60% of them said it's how I feel. Can you believe that? Well, if it feels bad, then it's got to be bad. If it feels good, then it's got to be good. This isn't new. This goes right back to the fall of Adam and Eve. You see, it felt good to want to be like God. It looked good to eat of the fruit. It was desirable. Therefore, it must be good. So what can we do about it? What are we left with? How do we deal with the situation at hand? Well, the first thing I say is, be aware of what's happening around you. Be aware of yourself. If you find yourself being at the center, wanting to be at the center of attention, put yourself in check. As soon as you put yourself as wanting to be at the center of attention, you're starting to feel like you're entitled. You're entitled to take authority where you don't have any. You're entitled, you begin to go into a store and demand things like you're the you know, king of the land and they just serve you on hand and foot. How dare they make a mistake? You know, I was, um, I was at a restaurant with, with Helen and it was a family-run restaurant. And we sat down. And, you know, nice little restaurant. We sat down, and we were having our meal, and we had just, you know, finished praying and thanking God for the meal. And all of a sudden, one of the waiters came by, and it was actually one of the family, younger family members. And you see, when you're a waiter, and you've got to put two drinks on, you know, those round plates, you have to put them this way, right? What happens if you put them this way and you lift one? So here comes this young guy and I didn't notice he was doing that. So he comes, so let's put it, I'm here, Helen's here and he's got two glasses, right? And, and he's about to, you know, service the glasses. And he puts mine down. And all of a sudden, the other one just goes, wham. And Helen's all wet. And then he's all shocked, you know. The, I think it was his grandmother and grandfather who, you know, started the, the, the restaurant. They're all shocked. And they're just waiting for us to, to see our reaction. You know what I mean? They're just waiting to see our reaction. Are we going to be like, how dare you, you know, to come into this restaurant and you put water all over me and wet me and do all this? Helen just gets up and smiles, says to the young person, it's okay. It's okay. I looked to the head waiter and to the grandfather and I said, it's okay. It's okay, it was an Italian grandfather and he was yelling at the grandmother. I, I don't know what he was saying. He's probably saying, I told you he wasn't ready. Why'd you put him out there in the first place? Now we have to deal with an angry customer. <laughs> Helen just walks into the washroom, you know, dries herself off, 
And she comes back in and we sit down and they get us a new table and we had a meal. Do you know what happened afterwards? Yeah, they gave us a discount, but that's not what the real... <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not what... You see, we're just thankful that we were there together on our own, you know? Having a nice time together, just having a conversation. We're just thankful. We thank God. We thank God for the food. It was just a nice night. It was outside. It was perfect weather. We were just being thankful. And so the water meant nothing. Like the, the wet pants meant nothing to Helen. Two days later, we were in the grocery store. And guess who we bump into? The waiter. He had a big smile on his face. You know, he came and, and, and greeted us, and, you know, he was just so happy. You see, because we reacted the way we did, that young man's confidence now was totally different. And then we went back to that restaurant a week later, because we were in the area and it was one of the only restaurants there. And this time he came with the glasses in the right place. <laughs> and I looked at him and said, "Ah, oh, you learned. And he just... <laughs> you see, the thankfulness that we had for being there as husband and wife made us react the way we did. If we weren't thankful, if we were all upset, if we didn't care about what was going on, we wouldn't have reacted that way. But you see, in order to deal with the culture of entitlement that is influencing us, we need to remind ourselves that it's out there. I cannot let my guard down. Because it can sneak in very easily through the TV I watch, the people I talk to. You know, I hear people saying, you know, we pay good money when we go into the store. We should. You know, they make good money off of us. They should service this in that way. It sounds reasonable, but if you think about it, underpinning that is our culture of entitlement. You know, when I go to a restaurant, I expect the food to be perfect, the ambiance to be perfect. You know, if I'm in a, an Italian restaurant, I want Italian music. I mean, I like that too. But we have to be careful that the critical aspect of who we are comes in and we start to criticize and criticize and criticize. See, Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, and he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Is it weekly? Is it monthly? Daily. And the first thing we got to do is deny ourselves. So there's no more me, me, me. There's no more I deserve this service because I paid for this product. I mean, I used to think like that. Even as a Christian in my early days, oh my goodness. I was a perfect example of entitlement when it came to shopping when I was, you know, young. If I went into a store and I was paying top dollar because, you know, I used to love, um, you know, sound systems, right? So I wanted the best sound system, right? 
And man, when I went into that store, I expected that if I'm going to pay top dollar for a sound system, that I was going to get top service. You know, you walk in, they get you a coffee, they sit you down, they have your whole experience. That was my expectation. It was. But over the years, God has been slowly chipping away at those attitudes. And I've had to come to learn what it means to deny myself. And that is the first step to protecting ourselves from the things around us in culture. That is why Paul called us aliens, ambassadors. We're different. You've heard me say this. I tell this all the time to the young people. You guys are weird. And that's okay. In fact, you're meant to be weird. You are. People find me weird at work. I'm surprised they get a promotion once in a while. And I, I realize, okay, I'm so weird and different, it must be God. Because I don't behave like the rest of them. I work hard. I do my job. But I don't mingle. I don't go to... You know, happy hour, I don't, go to any, I don't do any of those things. You see, if it's not about me, it's about the Lord. And you see, when you deny self, when you take up your cross every day, every hour, every second, you're letting Him be the master of your life and not yourself. And there's something that I want to make sure that we understand here today because we're going to have communion soon and I want to make this a bit shorter. There is a difference between a thankfulness that is deep with gratitude and a very surface-oriented thankfulness that is just emotion and feelings. There is a big difference between the two. A big difference. And there's, I think, no other story in the Bible that will tell us this best than in Luke chapter 17. Let's go to Luke chapter 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. All ten of them. Do you see that? They called out to Jesus. They said, Lord, have mercy on us. And he says, go. And as they were walking, obediently, they were cleansed. They did as the Lord told them to do. And then in verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Do you see that? Only one turned back. One was truly thankful. 
nine. They were thankful. But you see, sometimes when things happen to us, we do have a sense of entitlement. I can't be in the heads of these nine people here in this story that happened so long ago. But maybe they were thinking, we've been sick for so long, we've been suffering for so long, finally, finally somebody cares. Thank you. Do you see that undertone? It's an undertone that I deserve it. And see, sometimes when we go through tough times or we're suffering, we have this sense of entitlement. It isn't just about me, me, me. Sometimes we have this sense of entitlement in hidden areas in our life. And these nine people who were healed kept going, but only one turned back. It says he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. He fell on his face. Nine were going off. Hey, we're healed, we're healed, we're healed. This is great. Let's go show the priests. Let's go show everybody in the temple. We're healed. We deserve this. Because everybody has been avoiding us, telling us to get out of the way, pushing us aside in society, and now we can be accepted. <laughs> Only one turned back. And he fell at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And you know what it says? It points out now he was a Samaritan. Implying that the others weren't. And this speaks to us as church people. It speaks to us as church people. Because if we think of people like Nicodemus, if we think about the reaction when we first got saved, what was our reaction? There was a super joy in us. There was something different. There was a, you know, an extra step, a strength in our step. That joy of when we received salvation and we, we felt what it was like to not have the burden of death and sin on our, in our lives and, and we eagerly wanted to know Jesus more. You see, the others where Jewish people have been in church all their life. They've been taken to synagogue, maybe. They had learned Hebrew, the early scriptures, all of that. And they have become entitled. You see, the nine are a warning to us that we think we might become entitled as we go to church. We're in church for a long time. Oh, I volunteer every week. You know, I do this and I do that. I am faithful going to church. And we start to become entitled. We start to want to be at the center. <laughs> I remember at one church, I, uh, long, long time ago, and I'm not going to name the church, but it, it was, I've never, I've never experienced something like this. So we were at a church, and so we were trying to encourage people to be volunteers, right? And 
As they became volunteers, they started feeling like they were in charge and had authority and had rights. And they started telling people, you should call me pastor. All of a sudden, we started having all these different people, pastors in the church. And we were going, what's going on here? And so we had to sit down with these people and go, well, I now am in charge of so-and-so program, so I am a pastor. And I'm going, wow. And to that day, I never forgot that. Never forgot that. That was the perfect example of church-based entitlement, when we think we deserve something just because we go to church. Because we've been at that church for all these years. We don't deserve anything in reality. But God gives us everything that we need. And here he is, just falling. And this is what Jesus says. We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, a Samaritan. Not only was a Samaritan a reject because he wasn't a Jew, but he was a reject because he was a leopard. But he was thankful. Remember what Jesus said about being thankful? That those who need the doctor more are more thankful? And he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. When we look back at the baptism, I remember, especially the two young people because I've, I've worked with them, we remember one young man who just recently gave his heart to the Lord. And the first thing he wanted to do was be baptized. You see that, that eagerness, that joy, was there because he was thankful. He felt something like he'd never felt before. He was so thankful. It wasn't an emotion like with the other nine. It was something deeper, far, far deeper. We are in a culture of feelings, but there is something far deeper than feelings that's in our soul. God works or the other young person who was saying that, you know, they, for a couple of years now, they'd been seeking God, but they had started to have, you know, not too many people to hang out over the summer. And so they started reading the Bible. You know, what a novelty, read the Bible. But for a young person, that's a huge discovery. And all of a sudden, she started to have a relationship with God in a whole new way. And as soon as she started reading the Bible and feeling that, as soon as she saw Baptist, she was so thankful for what God had done in her life over the summer in just reading the Bible and showing her the truth and transforming her life that she wanted to get baptized. You see, thanksgiving is not something that's a state of being emotionally thankful. Thanksgiving is active. That is why when we go back to what Paul was saying is rejoice. 
Can you bring up Psalm 95, verses 1 to 2? Psalm 95, verses 1 to 2. There's even a word in Hebrew that's thanksgiving. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. You see, the word for thanksgiving in Hebrew is toda. And toda is a type of offering. You know how the Jews used to have different types of offering? It's a thanks offering. It's like a specific offering, like when you would bring the lamb or a pigeon. That was a type of offering. To them, this was another type of offering. But this was an offering you did all the time. This is an offering you did when you went to the temple. It wasn't passive feeling, it was active. You actually had to do something. You see, thanksgiving isn't something that you actually feel. It isn't about feeling nice and feeling good. That's why it's a good holiday. It has nothing to do with that at all. When we read the scripture and it said to be thanks, thankful and to give thanksgiving in Philippians 4, 6-7, do you know what the Greek word for thanksgiving is? Eucharistia. Thanksgiving, Eucharistia. In the scripture that we read before that, 1 Thessalonians, it said to give thanks, that's Eucharistos. Do you guys see the common word there? What's the word that's there? Eucharist. What is the Eucharist? What has the Eucharist been known for 2,000 years to be? What? Holy Communion. The word that the Bible uses in the Old Testament and the New Testament for thanksgiving is the same word that the church chose when they celebrated Holy Communion. And on this day of Thanksgiving weekend, on this day we celebrate Holy Communion, which in many traditions they call the Eucharist. The pinnacle of Thanksgiving is not Turkey, is not 1621, is not the pilgrims, it's none of that. As early as 100 AD, they have recordings of the word Eucharist being known and used for coming to the Lord's table and remembering what he did at the cross. Thanksgiving is about Jesus dying for us on the cross. That is what Thanksgiving is about. That is where it came from. That is what the word means. That is what the word intends us for us to mean. And we as Christians need to hold to that on this weekend. And every year that it comes about. It's not just at Easter. Thanksgiving 
is about Jesus Christ's work on the cross. And now when you in the Bible, when you go across every word that you read that says thanksgiving, it is the name for holy communion. It is what we do every month in this church. Every month we are celebrating a meal of thanksgiving. Today, as Christians, let us recapture what Thanksgiving is all about. Amen? Amen. All right. We are going to have communion. If you can bring out the table, please. Ushers, can somebody help? And I can just see the early Christians around 100 AD and as they're bringing this out. When I went to Israel, I wanted to do this and I didn't get a chance. If next time I go back, I want to do this. About a couple of years ago, a shepherd outside of Jerusalem lost one of his sheep. And he had to leave the 99 to go find the one, right? You know, story. So he goes looking for the one and he sees him slip into this bush and disappear. He sort of like, you know, goes into the bush and all of a sudden falls down. But he couldn't tell that it had fell down. So he goes into the bush and he starts pulling back the bush and there's no sheep and he has to go further in and he falls into a small little cave. And in that small little cave was an inscription at the top in Greek, Jesus Christ. And so historians and scientists went to carbon date those inscriptions to around 100 AD. And they saw other symbols of the celebration of the Eucharist because they were celebrating Eucharistia which is what we're going to do today every month people of God we are giving thanksgiving and you see when you have thanksgiving there is a joy that comes in you and when that joy is there, you take action. When you leave here after giving thanksgiving for remembering what Jesus Christ did for you, you're not the same. You're not the same. There is something inside of you that drives you to do something. You know, on Friday night, as we were wrapping up, you know, some people had to leave because they had helped out at the beginning. Some people had to leave because they had little children or weren't feeling well. But a large number of people stayed. And you know what I sense? Joy and thankfulness. Now, if you left, don't feel bad. Some of us had to leave. That's okay. But everybody that stayed 
was washing those dishes with joy, was cleaning those floors with joy, was putting those tables away with joy, and there were smiles on their face. When you have thanksgiving, you can't help but to act in joy, regardless of the circumstances. And as we celebrate today, I want us to have a deep understanding of thanksgiving and what we're going to give. Because you see, thanksgiving, it's not pay it forward. Pay it forward is almost like something you ought to do because it's the right thing to do. That's not what thanksgiving is about. Thanksgiving is a deep inner joy and thankfulness that you can't help yourself but to do something. Something for your neighbor, something for your family. To pray. You just can't help yourself. You have to get out there. You have to do something. That deep level of thankfulness and thanksgiving is something that permeates our very being. But if we don't feel that, then it's just emotion. It's the nine lepers. And my prayer is that all of us are the one that came back. Not the nine who were thankful because they deserved it. But the one that came back because he knew he didn't deserve it and he fell to the feet of the king who would ask him to deny everything and he would be willing to easily. Let us bow our heads. Everyone bow their heads and close your eyes, please. Before we take communion, with all our eyes closed, is there anyone who's been feeling, I haven't had that level of thankfulness. I've been struggling. I'm thankful that Jesus is there. I'm thankful that he saved me, but that deep level of thankfulness isn't there. That thanksgiving that just drives you. I want you to be honest with yourself before we go to communion. And I want you to raise your hand right now as your confession to the Lord that I need that thanksgiving, Lord. Help me to, to drive. Lift up your hand and just say, Lord, me. I want to be more thankful. Fill in me thanksgiving. Fill in me a greater, greater joy and a greater drive. Thank you, I see those hands. Thank you. And I'll pray for that in a minute. But as we go to the table, I don't know if there's anyone here who's never surrendered your life to Christ. With all heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody's looking around. If there's anyone here who says, I need Jesus Christ in my life, either here or online, before we take communion and celebrate Thanksgiving, 
you need to declare and surrender now. If you have never made that commitment and surrender, or maybe you did a long time ago, and you need to make it right again with you and the Lord, raise your hand. Raise your hand. I'm going to pray and, and I do feel that there are some here who need to rededicate themselves to the Lord I feel it on my heart that there is one more than one person and maybe you're, you're nervous about lifting your hand so I'm going to pray for those who have called for a deeper sense of thanksgiving in their hearts and then I'm going to pray a prayer, a prayer of surrender and salvation. And if you are one of those people, you just repeat the words that I say. But first, Father, I, I pray for those who put up their hands today. Those who maybe feel that they need more fire. more of you and Lord that is something we all struggle with a season we all had to deal with and I pray today Lord that in their acknowledgement and confession that they will start to take up the cross deny themselves all anew but only you can do that Lord permeate their hearts and their lives bring a new hope and joy a new fire that that burns inside of them like like the day of salvation Lord when we first experienced who you were revive us again Lord And Lord, there are, are those that you put on my heart today to surrender. And if, if you're one of those, repeat quietly in yourself with this, whether here or online. Father, I am a sinner. And I need to be reconciled to you. Lord, forgive me. Heal me of my sins and my scars and all the things that come with me. I believe that you are Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I believe you came. And I believe that you died on the cross for me and rose again. 
And I declare that today I surrender to you. And that today I am no longer the person I was. But I am now raised to life and born again.
symbol. There's nothing mysterious about this. Nothing mysterious about this. Except one thing, what it represents is the greatest mystery made known to all of mankind and forevermore. To never be forgotten was done on the cross. This is the greatest thing that we can give thanks for. This is our thanksgiving, our Eucharist. And as you read the Bible, when you come across that word, remember, remember the Eucharist, the thanksgiving. Before we take this, Pastor Melody, would you lead us in prayer? thankful today we're thankful today Lord for the cross that you chose to go to on our behalf oh God Lord you chose to go to that cross to be beaten to be scorned and to pour out of yourself so that we may have life and today we are so thankful Lord we are so thankful that we can go to you Lord with our needs we can thank you, Lord, that we could go to you in our sickness. Lord, in our sorrow, in our pain, we can go to you. Because, Lord, you bore it all on the cross. Lord, today we lift up this congregation. We lift up every individual that is here, Lord. You see their lives. You see their needs. God, some are here needing physical healing. Some are here, oh God, needing an emotional touch. Some, oh Lord, are needing provision, God. You went to the cross for it all, and today we present the congregation to you. Lord, in your mercy, in your grace, would you just reach down, heal where there needs to be healing, deliver where there needs to be deliverance. Oh God, where chains need to be broken, I pray in the name of Jesus, chains will fall off today. Lord, in the name of Jesus, let the blood that you shed and the body that you bore upon that cross not be in vain but Lord may go forth in demonstration in power in might and for your miracle working power Lord for your glory and honor because it's all for the glory and honor of you in the name of Jesus we take this host to remember you but to thank you to thank you Jesus we thank you Lord in your mighty name amen and then at the last cycle Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he passed it around and he said, take this in remembrance of me. So let's all take and remember the body of Christ that was broken for us.
then he raised the cup. The cup that represented the blood. The blood that would be spilled on the cross. The blood that dripped down his hands, his legs, his body. The blood that cleanses us of our sins. And he said, take and drink in remembrance of me. So let us partake together. Thank you for the Praise Jesus. People of God, if, if this is not a moment to be thankful, then what is? Let us lift up our voices. Let us tell the Lord of Lords what we think of Him. Hallelujah. Thanksgiving in a whole different light and we see that every month we're celebrating Thanksgiving and we should be celebrating Thanksgiving every day because we are thankful because we have denied ourselves taken up our cross and we're following Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior and that is what Thanksgiving is all about so I I release you into your mission field to your neighbors your family 
your brothers, your sisters, your co-workers, go and be the light and salt of the earth. Amen? Praise God. Amen. Yeah.